Mr. Chair, Acting Chair, I move that take the meeting. Let's call the meeting over Hey, do you want to explain why we're starting kind of an unorthodox? Sure, I'm not sure I was paying that much attention when you talked We have two people sick, and so I believe Lori is going to. You. I'm going to vote here, so I just said. You're the next tenure. And so if anyone has any thank you notes, I'll collect those afterwards. If you have any hate mail, you can give it to me. So shall we go down the agenda? That's sure. Do you want to come up here? Would that be easier for you? And if Mr. Collins arrives, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You have me at a disadvantage because most of the meetings that I chair, the first motion I make is to discard the rules, Robert's rules of order. But <laughs> I can't do that for this one. Okay, so do we have any public speakers today? Oh, okay, thank you. Uh, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, you have copies of the minutes in front of you. Would you like to look those over quickly? And if there are any? Yes. Oh, do we not have any minutes? Is it not on the from the November meeting? Yeah. Oh, here they are. Okay. Any any glaring errors? Anybody would like to make any corrections? If not, perhaps we can have a motion to accept. One. Second? Seconded? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. These are all public art items. Okay, so we have um, voting agenda items. They're all public art, which is one of my favorite things to discuss. So we have up first, I recommend Julia Ousley for Walnut Hill Recreation Center Public Art, and I believe, are you going to speak to that? No, um, the Public Art Committee Vice Chair for three neighbors will give a report to me. Okay, thank you. Okay, so yes, uh, Julia Owsley for the Walnut Hill Recreation Center. Uh, let's go for the project, because that the artwork uh, at the location must, A, be highly visible in the landscape, and vehicles. B, welcome visitors to the recreation center and park. C, must require little or no maintenance. And D, be free of safety hazards. For background, the proposed location for the artwork has been reviewed by Calvin Collins Brett, the Park Board Representative for Council District 13. <coughs> She will recommend approval of the site to the park board at Park Board NC on February 1st, 2018. Per the cultural policy plan, the Park and Recreation Board is responsible for citing all amenities or improvements on park property. The location provides high visibility from Walnut Hill Road traveling in both directions, east and west. It is easily accessible from the sidewalk to the playground on Field Fair Drive, the street on the west side of the recreation center. So the recommendations for the final uh, design, 
the park uh, the public art committee and the park board members recommend the reduction of the proposed height of the project 13 feet and to widen the steps to provide better seating opportunities public art staff will review the use of materials at the base that would be uh, that would soften the ground level and consistent with the materials used uh, used in the nearby playground. Do we have a motion for approval of this project? Do we have a motion? Second. Do we have a second? Second motion. Okay. It has been moved and seconded. Well, all in favor? All right. Opposed? The motion carries.
in the above mentioned downtown Dallas areas. Um, are there any questions? Yes. Can you know approximately how how much the artist would be paid? Okay. When we looked at the previous um, parking meter projects, um, when you fold in everything that the artist has to do, it's, it's approximately 190, exactly $190 per pole. So depending on how we divide that up based on, on Terry's recommendation, um, the contract will be commensurate with the number of poles that the artists are being required to do. So the artist won't be money. Oh heavens no, 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 no. It will be completely consistent with how we did it in detail. Other than Terry would be mentoring the artists. So this is an important mentorship opportunity for artists. Are there any other questions? If there are no other questions, do we move to approve? Is there a motion? You have a question? I move to approve. Oh, you move to approve? There's a second. It, all in favor? Aye. Opposed? The motion carries. Item number three the recommendation of planning for neighborhood plus project for the Skyline neighborhood at Everglade Park. The initial neighborhood meetings included an orientation to public art held at the Buckner Terrace Neighborhood Association meeting in September of 2017. A meeting with Butler Terrace Neighborhood Association members and art teachers and students from Skyline High School was held in December 2017 to develop areas for public art at Everglade Park. The next steps include community members, Skyline art teachers, planning and urban design staff will meet with public art staff to identify preferred locations for public art at Everglade Park. The site will be reviewed for approval by the Park and Recreation Board in February of 2018. Upon site confirmation, the scope of the project will be developed and confirmed for the project. Is there a motion to approve? Or are there other questions? Yes. All right. Did somebody make a motion already? No. Oh, no. I, just, I kind of backed up and asked okay. if there were any questions. But okay. I had there's a motion. Is there a second? Okay. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Okay, the motion. I mean, the motion carries. Oh. Is a recommended design for West Dallas Veterans Tribute Project. The recommendation is our design changes to the plaza. For Eliseo Garcia's proposal for the West Dallas site. Uh, based on the West Dallas Veterans Committee review of safety issues with public art staff, they, uh, their proposal is to change the plaza design from a, a three tiered elevation to a flat design with no steps or ramp um, to address the elevation change uh, and safety, accessibility, and cost. The West Dallas Veterans Committee has reached a tentative agreement with Ralph Martinez, RGM Architects, to work pro bono with artist Excel Garcia and to provide a certified structural engineer on all foundation dimensions, including weight, height, cost estimates, and a timeline for construction of a ground level sculpture foundation. 
All drawings and permits will be approved by the appropriate City of Dallas departments before any work on the plaza is started. The West Dallas Veterans Committee will be responsible for fundraising to pay for materials, labor, and any other above-ground or below-ground construction costs associated with enhancements of the plaza. The following are groups or local businesses that have offered financial or material support to the plaza. Trinity Groves, DMAHL, HMK Properties, Oddfellows, uh, their group called Landscaping, Encore, and Vecinos Unidos. The committee plans to begin fundraising events as soon as possible. The installation of the project will be determined by the fundraising timeline for the foundation. Are there any questions? And just to be clear, DMAHL is Dallas Mexican American Historical Heritage, which is a very important part on this. If there are no questions, is there a motion to approve? Second. Okay. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? The motion carries. Okay, let's move on to the briefings and starting off with the director's report. Great, thank you. And thanks for stepping in. Yeah, um, I can't believe it's been two months since we last met and it's been very, very busy. So this is a long report. We just jump in. We can well, just stop at the end of each section and we can discuss. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Um, the first um, good news, and I know many of you all uh, Right when we went through the City Performance Hall name being changed to the Moody Fund. Okay, well, when do the arts groups get their money is the first question. And so we've made really good progress on this. Um, but just to remind everybody, and since I know there's a lot of new faces on the commission, the Moody Fund for the Arts, and when you see MFA, it's not Masters of Fine Arts in this case, <laughs> it's Moody Fund. Um, but we, it was established, um, it will be a $10 million endowment to support OCA arts organizations with budgets less than a million dollars. So there's a really great arts organization, but they're not already going through the due diligence process with Charlotte and her team. That's the first step, um, and this is, the, the City Performance Hall was renamed for the Moody's after they gave their amazing gift. And I want you all to save the date for Monday, February the 26th, when that will become official uh, and it should be a very memorable evening. Um, so I hope you can join us. Join us. Um, but it's very important to understand that this fund is absolutely critical funding in the Dallas arts ecosystem and they do have a lot more flexibility than we as a city arts agency sometimes has. Um, despite our best wishes, we are not well suited to fund things and my favorite example are artists in residencies um, where you know another organization has an idea and they want an artist and it's not really defined. Remember we buy artistic services for the citizens of Dallas. Uh, that's a tough one. Travel, food, things that a lot of times organizations do. The city of Dallas is not a good funder for those kinds of things. They're very worthy projects. This organ this fund has some more flexibility. It also has a lot of controls in place. Um, but just to kind of recap what this fund can fund, commissions of original works and artistic collaborations, support for new works, innovative programs, and offsetting the rent and production costs at Moody Performance Hall, 
Um, that was where we started. The great news is it also now has been expanded to skip a bullet programs that create and deliver cultural experiences to all parts of Dallas. Um, and that was direct feedback from this commission when we were going through this last spring. Programs, projects, and exhibitions that address important issues of cultural equity and community access to the arts. This was really important to the Moody's when they gave this gift. Um, so, you know, this is imbued in this fund. And then operating staff and marketing support for new initiatives. initiatives. A lot of funders don't cover overhead. This fund does. Um, it's not good enough to just do the new work. People need to know about it. <laughs> um, and so we, we have that provision. Uh, support for production costs, you know, that's really soup to nuts. That's that broad category of everything it takes to make the magic happen. Capacity building, that's another um, important thing for these small arts organizations. So if you need to look at a ticketing system or you need to look at um, you know, getting a press kit together, you know, we, we don't know yet what we're gonna get, but again, it's, it's appropriately broad. Hosting artist and residency programs I've talked about, and then other projects deemed important to the vibrancy of the arts in the city of Dallas. I think that that is very broad language. Again, not sure what we're going to get, but the Moody's and AT&T Performing Arts Center is very, very involved in this. We wanted that kind of broad catch-all because this is in perpetuity. Um, yes, I'm sure these particular bullet points can and will evolve, but right now we left it and I thank the commission at the time that blessed these. I literally copied this from the original packet, so nothing has changed. Um, and then the only other caveat, which you know is always in anything the city of Dallas touches, is that programs and projects must take place in the city of Dallas, which is, you know, I still get questions why that is, but <laughs> hopefully it's self-explanatory to all of you. Questions? Okay, so thank you uh, to everybody who might have put the word out. But this year, just to recap, um, we're going to be giving out $100,000 we granted, which if you think about a million dollars a year, the way the actuarials and the financial people built this is we're going to pay out a little bit extra the first couple of years and then play catch up. This fund should eventually fund about three hundred and fifty to $400,000 a year. But this year we're a little bit over because it would only be $40,000, which it's a lot of work to put out a call for proposals for that amount of money. Um, two information sessions were held last week. David went on Monday night and I went on Thursday morning um, and they were amazingly well attended. I don't think anybody expected to have these kind of participation numbers. And John Spriggan stood up at South Dallas Cultural Center and welcomed the groups. And what was amazing to me is two thirds of the people in the audience, it was their first time in the South Dallas Cultural Center, which I just still find kind of amazing. So, you know, we always think everybody knows us <laughs> yeah. um, and that's not always the case. Now, some of those people were board members and volunteers, but um, so it was also just a great way to reconnect with these groups. So it's kind of unexpected. Um, the applications will be open from February 20th to mid-March. Um, they will be reviewed and uh, discussed and decided upon. And then the grantees will be announced in June with funding this summer. So, you know, it's, it's moving, we will keep you abreast, but I realized this fall it just didn't get discussed very much and it's not because things weren't happening. Um, so, questions? Who's on the selection panel for the organization? We are not naming those names until after because they would be lobbied so intensely. If you look at the bylaws, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's normal. Um, but the, per the bylaws, um, if you recall, the um, the commissioner chair, so John Paul's on it, um, somebody from the UT Performing Arts Center, and then three other arts um, uh, art interested citizens that they are all agreed upon. The executive committee is 
myself, um, somebody from the, the foundation, and then a third party that we both agree on as a tiebreaker. And so that's all, nothing has changed. That's in the bylaws of the fund. Yeah. So it, is that third party the third party on everything happening, or just that third party change from time to time? Oh, it'll probably change every round. Yes, intentionally. Yes. And we've been very intentional about wanting to have a visual artist, a dancer, a theater, um, different neighborhoods of the city. But we, as a matter of course, Charlotte, correct me if I'm wrong, we never release panelist names until after funding decisions because of the lobbying. And it's just, I will say this, it's, it's still hard for me when I run into somebody, it never fails. The minute the decisions go out, who do I bump into at breakfast the next morning? The person who didn't get funded. And they're like, my next call is to your office, you know? <laughs> so that's very intentional and, and very much in keeping with the way the Office of Cultural Affairs handles our internal grant making. And to play catch up a little bit, how is OCA involved with those funds? What's the connection? So um, the only people that are eligible for this money are arts organizations that are already in our support framework. So when I say OCA supported arts organizations, a budget under a million dollars, that means that typically they are probably special support or um, CPB cultural projects. That means that they've already, for example, in the time frame, just so you know, is the fiscal year we just ended or currently funded. So it has to be reset. But that means they understand they have audited financials. They know how to do a great report. They um, can do a, a report at the end. There, there's somebody that has already worked with our funding auspices, and then now they're eligible for this new funding. Sorry. Also remind me, Jennifer, was there a, a total number of grants that can be made with $100,000? Up to, to $7,500 this year for a grant amount. Perfect. So what is that? I think it's 13 or 14 grants. Okay. Um, and I will say this, we don't know what we're going to get. So the fact that um, 79 organizations appeared at the information session will lead me to believe we won't have a problem giving all that money away. Um, not that I thought we would, but I think the question is, do people get grants of 5000 or are they all at the maximum amount? Um, yeah, we just don't know. I, I actually will also be interested to see, we've been having internal conversations around this, you know, should the, should the maximum be $10,000? Should the maximum, you know, how does that change over time as we have more money to give away to? I guess, will there be a rubric in place as far as what you guys are looking yes. for? Yes. Yeah, sorry. And if you have groups also, that's the one thing I was gonna say, just make sure people, that's one reason why we're having this conversation, is as people are going through the process or dealing, I know the website, the AZT Performing Arts Center people are here, the website's been built, the application will be live, but there will be hiccups on just the fundamental stuff. Of it. So they, the organizations have to be funded through OCA first in order to And um, I feel really good about that decision. There's a long conversation we had about that. But I think it's the, it, it, it does keep some consistency in who's applying to this pot of city money. That's part of the control, right? Because we have groups that have not successfully funded grants, and if there was a backdoor into this fund, it would actually be more money for the groups that didn't necessarily make good on what we had committed. So, 
not 100% on compliance yet, so among the arts organizations. Questions, comments? Um, okay, so I'm sure it has not been lost on you that since November, the fallout from Mr. Weinstein has reached uh, the arts community, in both, both nationally and in Dallas in particular. And I will just say personally, as a point of privilege, you know, I worked at Lincoln Center what feels like a lifetime ago, more than 10 years ago now. And if you had told me that James Levine, the music director of the Metropolitan Opera, who held that post since before I was born, would come down on something like this, and then Peter Martins, the head of the New York City Ballet, as well. I would have told you you're crazy. Like, Lincoln Center, what? Like, so Dallas has had our own issues, and we have had lots of questions. Okay, well, what does the city do when the organizations that we fund and house and et cetera? And so we have consulted with attorneys and looked at our contracts, and currently, you know, um, for the organizations that we fund as third parties, it's actually a pretty straightforward relationship that we contract for artistic services as independent contractors. And I've pulled that section out of the contract. Um, and I'm happy to read it. I never know how people people want to be read a paragraph that dense or if they want to read it themselves. Um, but the key here is that they are completely independent and um, I will say this, not only are they independent in matters of personnel, but they're also independent in matters of artistic, you know, decisions, if you will. Um, and we don't get into the way they set working hours, which is also a whole other realm of HR law. Um, and we don't get into, they manage independently. And having talked with some of the organizations in town, I'm not going to name names, um, I think this problem, the way you manage personnel, we hear about the things that hit the press, right? Or we hear the scuttlebutt from, I know so-and-so and they're on the board and they're telling things they shouldn't be telling. Um, at the end of the day, our role <coughs> has been, and I'm sure it's gonna be discussed, that we do not involve, we do not get involved in that level of management of an organization. Um, and so right now, the issue du jour is sexual harassment. But when it was, you know, audit issues, we that's where we can control in terms of what people can report. Um, one incident I also heard about an arts organization shared with me that they had a really wonderful employee, I think it was a she, 27 or 28, who said, made a joke that fell flat, it was inappropriate, should not have been said in the workforce. And that leader of the arts organization said to me, you know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I actually consider that incident to be a coaching opportunity. He goes, if it happens again, we have got issues. And this person was written up and it has been dealt with. But there were other people on their staff that were like, fire them. It's a you know aggressive workforce. And I think our whole world right now is grappling with these things. And I just said, you know, again, like that's your business. You know, and the OCA has had issues. We had a vendor working at a cultural center that is no longer on a current project because we felt like something that we didn't want to be part of was occurring. So again, we're handling, we're managing our personnel. We work closely with the HR department at the city on that, but we expect the same from our partners. And this is what this uh, clause is. Um, I have several thoughts about this, yeah. but first a question. Mm -hmm. um, is this topic generally of um, uh, these kinds of problems within 
arts organizations that the city contracts with for services. What's going to be a topic that um, you envision being part of the cultural policy discussion? Well, I think where we're going more with it, and I mean, it's still we're still building the plans, mm -hmm. we're flying it, so it changed. Um, I mean, and we're I'm hoping to the feedback is I think as this touches issues of equity and power, um, there is no question that the cultural plan is um, gathering a lot of data and telling a very compelling story that our organizations in general are not meeting some of the diversity goals that the city's been pretty clear about. And um, insofar as whether it's management or board. We can make huge strides on that front, and as those issues tend to impact the way sexual harassment has been dealt with, <laughs> I think that that's probably more the angle you were on that call. Mondays and, and I think there's there's text that's in the next slide that is actually in our facilities contracts that talks about a lawful and safe. You, they must create a lawful and safe environment. Yeah. So there is some, I mean, if, if something were to really get bad, we do have some <coughs> contracts. Um, where I think in the cultural policy, and I was there for the last round of cultural policy, there's that whole section of vision and mission and values in the beginning, where we set forward what the mission and values of things like equity and gender equality, whatever the topic is, and we can embed that in that, and then the next step of that is it then can get layered into our funding rubrics so that as we're evaluating a group for is this a good project, we can say how does this align with the mission and values of the Office of Cultural Affairs? Well, now we've got deeper, broader, more carefully laid out values for what that actually then how do you measure it? Well, exactly. Okay, so here is a thought along those lines. Um, you know how uh, city contracts um, stipulate that oftentimes a certain percentage um, be awarded to, yeah, yeah. Uh, to subcontractors <coughs> so that the overall representation reflects the city, etc. One thing that seemed to me just in general without targeting any specific organization is the absence of a clear um, path for people who want to come forward and a clear path that provides um, some uh, freedom, uh, some guarantee that they wouldn't be hurt by retaliation or something like that. And that also provides, frankly, that the funding that the city uh, extends to its partners um, is not um, going to organizations which might um, conceal problems behind a wall that we don't ever right. learn about. So to me, um, I think it would be slide. really great if, if, whether it's in the cultural policy or in a contract language or something, that there is an opportunity for us to elevate the values, the broad yeah. general values, down into uh, contract language. So this is a perfect segue. Um, the only model that I think um, has has gotten far enough in Dallas so far, and if anyone was able to attend from this group, was this Chicago Theater Standards, and they spent two years in Chicago looking in their theater community of how do we address some of these issues. So if I'm an actress or an actor and I'm auditioning and I feel like something untoward has happened, 
who do I tell? Like, it's the old casting couch thing. And um, they spent a long time, and it's not just the sexual harassment issues, it was issues of work schedule, our meals being served. Apparently in some of these theaters, theater, Chicago has a dynamic small theater scene too, by the way, y'all, like really, really vital. So if they're grappling with this, we all should. But there were things like, um, do I have to buy my own costume or not? Because that's money out of the hands of an actor or actress that's working two or three jobs. So it was a whole set of standards about creating equity. Um, the Dallas Theater Center has been involved in this, and I was told recently that they are taking this 46-page document or something and distilling it down to the two or three pages that they feel like today they can implement with their um, in their community. And so they have already... They're test piling it on the Frank, cast of Frankenstein right now, um, which just started rehearsals after the holidays, because they basically said, if you give our name at production, our 46-page employee handbook, the reality is, you're starting rehearsals, are you gonna study the script or read the handbook? Like, it's not gonna happen. And it's, it's the chain of command. If there's an issue, who do I tell? If I'm the tech, who do I tell? If I'm in the company, who do I tell? If I'm, you know, and so they are working on it, and I think that this is probably one of the best comps right now. To be frank, we have not gotten there. You know what I mean? In terms of what does that then mean for every other organization that we fund? Um, and so, you know, but this is this is this is where the arts industry is right now, and I think we're kind of watching and trying to feel. The other, Karamia is hosting a four-part series. Men, sorry, women speak, men listen. It starts tomorrow night. And two of the events are at our cultural center. So we're trying to be helpful. This is more of a letting people share experiences. Um, and then the Dallas Cultural Advocacy Coalition is approaching it, I think, kind of differently. It'll be interesting. Uh, more at the managerial level of understanding really what are the legal issues, um, what is harassment versus bad behavior um, in terms of how power is perceived and used. Um, how is it if the person works for me versus if they don't work for me? It's all of the legal HR stuff. Um, and so Joanna is also going to be informing us on that. She said she's putting it together and it's going to go for like the next two or three months. Um, and so we're trying, and then the city attorney is looking at it. I don't know if we can get into the fact that people would discuss personal issues with us. And so that's what I got to figure out. Well, yeah. and here's the thing I really think that it is a mistake to mix this in with a swirl mm -hmm. of other HR right. type issues. Um, because, no, we don't want to get into a discussion about, you know, working overtime right. and that kind That's of stuff. That's the thing. Um, this category is pretty well defined by the universe, you know, mm -hmm. right now. Um, I think some of the um, things, had they been pursued uh, fully and openly and transparently, might have, you know, worked themselves into a criminal case, some might have become a civil case, um, but this is beyond, I think, making someone, you know, buy their own uniform or work on Oh, I know, no, no, no. I, kind of thing. it's just that, I'm, I'm sorry, the Chicago Theater Standards dealt with all of those things, mm -hmm. they clearly dealt with sexual harassment and what happens if there's nudity in the scene, and what happens, because it does start to touch, so it was a 46-page document that dealt with the whole host, we are most interested, obviously, in the stuff you're discussing. But that's one reason why I think people have got to figure out, well, how far does it go? And jump in, because you've been more involved in the theater world stuff. So. Uh, but I mean, okay, so shifting gears, I'm trying to understand what people, the OCA is monitoring it, but at this point, the city has said, right now, your contract is as it is. 
and yes. Well, to piggyback off what Lori said, I think the the connection is so yeah, the the groups are independent contractors, but through their contracts with the city, you can put in you know whatever requirements mm -hmm. you want. So I guess we need so, some. Well, no. So so yeah. So if, <coughs> if we you know as a group in a community feel like the Chicago theater standards are important and should be followed, you know, within our ecosystem, then mm -hmm. we can we can add to our city contracts that, you know, we receive city <coughs> funds and need to um, adopt and, and agree to, you know, the Dallas theater standards or something yeah. like that. So if, if it's important, we can, we can do That's that. right. No, however, nothing right now exists that right. I think anyone can point to. Yeah. And you know, there's also two levels of check and balance for for us at, in the at the city bureaucracy remaining very neutral. But you all have a check and balance in do you recommend this contract to council? Yeah. And you could you could turn down. We can say in a very neutral, objective sense, by the, all the legal this this uh, contract qualifies for funding. You could say I don't recommend it. And likewise, council could like could turn it back for that same reason if there was a uh, uh, an organization that was not obviously not needing. Yeah. Well, that would be difficult though because some of us wouldn't have access to that information. Say HR would have. So to make that recommendation, you all would most likely say, "Well, where's the proof that we can not you know, fund this organization?" I think in some ways, um, the amount of money that we give to these organizations, I think we become complicit if we don't do anything. Right? And I think, you know, yeah. I mean, the thing that I hope that we as a group could accomplish is that we could um, proactively convey to people who would be essentially subcontractors with you know the organization that we contract with that we are aware of mm -hmm. what you've been saying and we're aware of the frustration and the problems that you're having and we don't want you to feel like the city and the, the, the large organizations are sort of this impenetrable, insensitive, uncaring, you know, thing that makes it hard for people to come forward. I would like for the city to somehow um, be able to convey that we do hear you and we do care and we're trying to figure out a way for people who feel um, uh, mistreated to uh, surface their problems, you know, and and uh, and get a fair hearing. And I don't know that it would be the same in every entity. You know, some are big, some are small. But I'm not recommending that we have an ombudsman. But I mean, I think there, I think the the city would be um, moving in the right direction if we could somehow convey like. We're aware, we hear it. We know we are providing a lot of significant funds to these organizations that some of you feel are sheltering uh, bad actors. And we don't want that to continue. We, we will continue to fund arts organizations, but we want some kind of strings attached to our money somehow that say it's not a blank check. And if we keep hearing that, People at us organizations are uh, 
having problems, then that's not okay. Mm -hmm. No, so it's not okay. It's not okay. I just, um, the, my first thought was a lot of these organizations are in city-owned buildings, and their support is the fact that they are occupying. So they're, they're just, I think we have to also operate in the realm of reality, and, um, and nothing that the city can do. I mean, at the end of the day, people, I, I, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm still digesting, but I mean, we're not going to evict name an organization because of, so it's, it's more about the, no, do we yeah. provide a whistleblower hotline? Do we provide a yeah. forum? Kind of it's something, I mean, I, that's yeah, where I need to kind of, yeah. What would be the next step if we do want to the city attorney, I think, is, is the next mm -hmm. to say. But uh, we really wanted to just kind of get to the starting place. Um, and then I think also we have not done an exhaustive, we've had obviously other things going on. The, the whole industry is grappling with this, and I should have said that up front. Forget our local leadership efforts, Americans for the Arts, Grant Makers for the Arts. Uh, I met with a huge foundation today, and they were kind of looking at, you know, what do you do in an organization? Because also some of these organizations need money to actually bolster their ability to deal with these things. If you don't have an HR department, like you're more vulnerable. And so that's that capacity building thing. Um, so maybe there's also a capacity building angle where we say, not only is it not okay, and here's the way we deal with it, but also if you haven't done these 10 things, if you haven't trained your staff, if you haven't trained your board, if you don't have a handbook, and I'm telling you a lot of our organizations probably are following that camp, um, here's how we help you do that. And that's helping the industry. So I don't, I mean, we're not there yet, but that's a good corporate <coughs> policy thing, right? Um, but in terms of contract language, I need <coughs> to have a little bit more direction for what we can tell the attorneys so that they can look at, well, here's the range of options beyond having a safe building. Like, it, it, safe in the law is the first thing, right? And then, yeah. Is there something in place or a policy as so with reference to how this will relate to our the staff, your staff, for example, in contract right. with these people as well. Yeah. Is there something there? Well, the compliance side of this is huge. <laughs> and so, you know, every single rule and requirement that we have, and Charlotte speak up since you get the monthly reports. You know, we're already struggling with our little team to stay on top of the compliance for everything else. So, and then I will say a lot of arts organizations have said, you know, it's a fine line between when does a personnel matter become an issue of artistic integrity? Yeah. So I, not only is there a rumor about somebody, but I don't really like their art or it's political against somebody else. And the minute you start meddling in managerial decisions of an organization, uh, there's other issues of integrity that become real. And so that's one reason why this independence has always been. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I just want to add, I think because there isn't a standard that we have a great opportunity as OCA yes. in the standard in the city of Dallas to make a move here that would push the dial in the right direction. I totally agree. And I don't see why, I think there's great value in making all organizations articulate their policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is scalable. So you, if you have an organization with five employees or 50, if you can't articulate that procedure, you shouldn't be funded. Yeah, if you don't have a chain of command for how somebody raises an issue, that's yeah. a great, mm -hmm. that's like, do you have it or do you not, right? It's right. And it's, you can score that. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think that's something yeah. we can implement in the next that's funding cycle. 
I'm looking at Charlotte because she knows that schedule. Uh, awesome. <laughs> you know, that's a question we can ask the city attorney, though, y'all. That's, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, we need a little bit of, like, in this universe. So just so I'm clear, great value of making a policy uh, of, for, for expressing concerns. Yeah, I, just, like, I think you should be able to articulate that mm -hmm. as, as an organization. I, I don't have this in front of me, but I think there are some of our contracts that state that the organization must have an affirmative action hiring exactly. policy mm -hmm. that, has, exactly. that has come out of the last 20 years of work. Right. So I think this That's is just this is the 21st century version of that, and so we could amend, you know, as moving forward, or we go back and amend all of our current contracts to say Amendment Five states: in order to keep this contract in good standing, you must have a published. Sexual harassment or and stock training. equity program. Yeah. See, and, and that's measurable, and then I can say you're in breach, you're in not. Right, right. And when did you do it? And, then, and we're going to start with COP, just so everyone's clear. That's just, I mean, just so that's our annual funding, organizations of over $100,000. I mean, just because we fund over 100 organizations, we're going to take, we're going to eat the piece one bite at a time, if that's okay. We, seeing some heads nods. Okay. I was going to mention this in the liaison reports, but one of these community conversations, unless it's changed, is uh, this Tuesday at the Dell Shilkins Theater, 630 to 9. So I, I plan on going. I'm happy to report back and interest in any of them. Tomorrow night's at Oak Cliff Cultural Center. One is at White Rock United Methodist Church over on the other side of the lake, and then the last one is here. So they're all. Well, I'm hopeful that this will be disappointed. Yeah, we're very open, by the way. I just, I mean, it's kind of this new territory, and a lot of people are grappling with this. Yeah, because I think it's a real opportunity to rebuild trust within the art community, with our institutions. When I attended this, one of the first ones at Arts Mission Oak Cliff, there was a lot of frustration in that room. There was a lot of people who were angry. They didn't say anything. I would think the uh, Center for Nonprofit uh, Management would be able to guide many of these organizations in such a way to where I know, having worked for a small arts organization, if somebody told us to do this, we wouldn't know where to go. Right. You know, and so being able to clearly say, this organization is here to help you. Write that you're not you're not left alone, I and mean, we're not asking you to go spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get this done. I I, I, I think finding three or four good examples and sharing those, mm -hmm. we just haven't gotten there, but I think it's happening. But yes, exactly. I feel like was there a hand over here, Linda? Are you okay? Okay. <laughs> Thank you all very much. You mentioned that there was frustration in the room. Mm -hmm. Is that concerning sexual harassment? What was the frustration? Yes, harassment. <laughs> and, and again, I think again, my perspective was that you know, a lot of people felt like the institutions were being uh, openly protective of what was happening. I'm sure they were. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's yeah, the they didn't want it off. that's of course they were right. And um, I think. The new world is yeah. you just can't. I mean, that's that whole. It's like it's it's back to transparency and everything people do. Yeah. Well, overly protective of the, the person who committed it. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant just reputational risk generally. Well, I mean that too. Yeah, that's what I thought you meant. 
Can I ask a follow-up question? So if you have to, this is just a thought exercise, I guess. If you have to articulate your policies and procedures in chain of command, would it then be reasonable if someone violated that and wasn't transparent that we could actually go back and say, it wasn't enough that you had a policy, but you actually, we know now that you violated the policy, so it's also a violation of our funding contract? Is that, can, is that true? Can we do that? <laughs> I, I am not an attorney. Big today. <laughs> I am not an attorney, and I'm not close enough to the situations that have occurred. And I've, yeah. I've definitely, I've talked to management, but again, you what know, I've read in the press. What? Because we have that policy, affirmative action policy. We have goals, and some right. organizations hit them, and some organizations don't. But it's also not more than ten points of their hundred point rubric, which we're looking at. And I mean, I'll say it straight up, like we've been measuring this stuff since the 90s and clearly what we're doing in, in the large organizations is not enough. I'm seeing some heads nod. I mean, stay tuned until April when that becomes more. <laughs> but Is this something allocations will take up as far as maybe changing the rubric? Yeah, the cultural policy is going to take it up. The cultural plan, cultural policy. And then allocations will be... Uh, playing with that new playbook. Because I will tell you, you know, as, a, as an artist and having worked in nonprofit, there is no one to go to. And it's not criminal because nothing happened, but you are uncomfortable. And, and you can't go to your board president because the executive director deals with the board president and the board. And otherwise, you have four other people in your office to deal with. You know, there, there is, there is an interest. Well, I think that's exactly why it's really incumbent upon the city to uh, change the culture, because we know that's the case, and we know that the people who uh, feel aggrieved really, as a practical matter, you know, they don't have recourse, and the city as a funder is sort of the only counterbalance to those points, you know? Well, um, we don't want to be Commissioner Valderas is right. Yeah. Like, at some point, are you, are you complicit? I yeah. mean, or are you, we, we yeah, so we got to figure out what is the official, and also, I don't want to get into he said, she said, so that's that whole, I mean, uh, and I am not an attorney, so I'm way out of my desk, even, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I mean, Good times. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so now on to Confederate monuments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think in October was when y'all um, approved the recommendations from the task force, and we went and briefed City Council November first on all eleven recommendations. Thank you again for y'all's support on that, and. You know, it, it's the classic, you brief and, and you can't know everything. Um, and so it wasn't like, take it to council, we're going to vote up or down. It was, okay, city staff, go off, and now the real work begins, if you will, on some of this. And the good news is a lot of these things actually were, especially on the parks department's part, were already in process. Um, so just to kind of bring you guys up to speed, uh, Kay and Lynn and the public art team, we have not been sitting around eating bonbons. and. They have been looking at each of these 11 recommendations, and we kind of divvied them up among which department owns them. And um, on the two big monuments that need to find new homes for a loan, we have been doing site visits and due diligence around 
which organizations really can take these. Um, sometimes a person in an organization thinks you can, or the staff wants it, but the board doesn't. We've had that happen. Um, uh, we did two visits, really three visits, um, to different institutions on those loans. And then on the Fair Park whole bucket of work, you know, that's the recommendation that was saying there's a whole story that has not been told at Fair Park. Um, in 1936, when we told the history of Texas, here, share with you, Mr. Okay. Um, you know, a lot was left out. So, okay, starting with what's there and then where would we add, what needs to be added. Um, everyone I've talked to at City Hall on this, you know, the, the issue there will ultimately also be an issue of cost. We have not been given a budget for that work. And that could be a half a million dollar project, that could be a five million dollar project. Because the minute you start recontextualizing something like Fair Park, it, where, do, where do you go? So this one, we're starting with a tour on all of the understanding what's there and needs signage, but also understanding what stories have not been told. Um, the landmarks issues and constraints are huge, both at Fair Park, but as well as Pioneer Plaza and Cemetery with the monument in front of the convention center. Um, so I know Kay, I think, has a meeting tomorrow or with um, the Landmarks team on that, or I'm supposed to be doing that, I think. Um, so we're trying to sort out the those issues. The um, Aaron Douglas murals were the works that were in the Hall of Negro Life. Um, we've had a great response from one of the <coughs> institutions that has those. So what would it take to possibly get a loan and bring one of them back to Dallas? Um, you know, we definitely at least know where they are and what they look like and tried to sort that out. We do have a willing partner on the other end, which is really great news. And then on all of the above, plus, 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 cost estimates. So what does it really cost? And there are people on city council that, you know, round numbers are not good enough anymore. Um, so what do these things cost? And then what are all the options around cost? The good news, too, is the Parks Department was already working on putting a new naming policy in place for their parks. There had been a two-year moratorium on naming parks um, unrelated to this. And so the really great news is they, uh, in December, adopted the new naming policy and in January lifted the moratorium on naming parks, which there were several recommendations related to the Confederate Monument Task Force of, let's say we had a local leader that we wanted to commemorate, how could we get a public park named for them? And so now they can actually do that. And the Parks Department has already dealt with Robert E. Lee Park being renamed, and they are um, proposing three or four different options to rename the Confederate Cemetery in Fair Park. So on the Parks Department ones, they, they're moving. Um, and then, um, I didn't put this on here, but on, as an aside, as it relates to parks, the um, plaque or commemoration for the horrific lynching of Alan Brooks at Maine and Ackard um, is across the street from Pegasus Plaza Park, which is a parks department. And so the parks department is taking that one up. And there's actually a grant, again, thank you, Downtown Dallas Inc., um, to help do contextual signage for several major parks in downtown. Um, there's a lot of untold history that needs to be told, and so that will be probably taken up in that work. Um, but I did not know this. You can only apply for a historic marker once a year on November 15th for the state of Texas. We clearly missed that deadline this year, so we are, I know. So there's all these also little, that one is probably the cheapest of all of them, but 
the next time you can apply for a historic marker is next November 15th. So, I mean, it's just, um, but again, Parks owns that. It's on their radar. Um, so all to say, this will be taken to council for another briefing on February 28th. And the, the big bucket of work that doesn't really relate to Office of Cultural Affairs is around street naming. And, you know, the, the task force was very clear in their recommendations, and we need direction from council. Do you want to rename these streets? Do you not? And so a little bit of it is some of this briefing will go back and forth with council um, on things like street naming. We have a policy for how you rename streets. Does, do we want to rename or not? You know, and so that's a little bit of what February 28th we'll have to ultimately get to. Questions? Sorry. Yes, as one who served on the Confederate Monument Task Force. On the Aaron Douglas, yes. O'Neill, I, uh, were you talking to them about a phone or a person? Yeah. Yes. Other questions? Uh, one question. Has it, there been any discussion about, um, I know the, the task force recommendation was to potentially find a permanent home. Has there been any discussion, or is right now the permanent it's just for, what? for the monuments and creating a, um, I, help me out on this one. So we talked about you know, a racial healing possibility similar to the Holocaust mm -hmm. Museum. Um, so both of the monuments um, were to find a long-term loan with a North Texas institution where they could be uh, contextualized. Um, and so that's that's the purview we've been working on. However, Lynn and Kay have also had inquiries that we didn't seek out from out-of-state okay. entities. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we answer the phone, whoever calls kind of thing, but yeah. Is there anything I should add, Kay? Um, well, just back to the landmark. Yeah. But, and we did review this as a part of the task force, but um, the Confederate monument is in a protected zone uh, under a valid landmark jurisdiction. There is a procedure if you want to make a change, but it's, it's a long procedure through the Landmarks Commission. Um, <coughs> the reality of finding a new location for that, even if we involve the original donors, is Yes. On the briefing on the 28th of February, mm -hmm. what all do you see is going to be in that briefing? We are going to go, just like the previous one, recommendation by recommendation. So what was the recommendation, um, what's been accomplished, or what decision does staff need to move forward? And so the where we got kind of stuck last time is um, around costs. You know, a lot. Of, so we've done, done substantial work on about what this would cost on some of this stuff. Um, and then also we didn't know any. We, the last time we had a recommendation to put the monuments on the long term loan with a private institution, not on public land, but we didn't know which institution. So we will have a staff recommendation on February twenty eighth. And all that's coming from your team. Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're not going to share that with the board? Pardon? You're not going to share that with us? I can't. I mean, it's literally like yeah. we had a call earlier this week, and, you know, it's, it's I hate to say it's like, are you still interested? We haven't met since the holidays. Are you yeah. sure you still want this? 
uh, and then we did share, you know, uh, Kay and Lynn have put together, what are all the responsibilities of a loan? Okay, so it's a broad statue. It's seven to $10,000 a year of maintenance. The industry standard is that the host institution pays for that. Um, you said you were gonna build fences and properly secure this thing. Are you still good for that? Um, what kind of base does it need? Have you checked your height restrictions? Have you, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it really is now, at least the good news is that we're actually having conversations that are at that level, right? Rather than, God, no, I don't want that thing, or yes, I definitely want it, but I, you know, don't have any idea what it entails. Because we had some of those too. For the, the landmarks outside the uh, convention center, does um, the Confederate one, does the, do the landmark issues make it more difficult to, you know, Kay said it, it, it makes it hard, it's probably not going to go somewhere else, but is that keeping it from being delayed? Yes. I mean, no, it can be, anything can be changed, but that one is really harried, and Kay, for me, I'm wrong, but we, it's a protected entire area, but the statue has nothing to do with the cemetery in terms of like, the, that, that, that monument is not on top of graves or anything. Is that what you're asking? What I'm, uh, what I'm trying to figure out is, are we saying that it's not gonna, it can't be removed? No, I mean, Mark Doty said it can be removed. It can be removed. Yes, and he's the head of, I'm sorry, he's the head of historic preservation for the city. It can be removed. It does have to go through a landmark process. Because it's within the zone of a landmark district, which is called Pioneer Cemetery, right? And there's so, an ordinance from 2002. So the, I mean, the task force recommendation was to remove it and um, find a long-term home for it. If, let's, let's say, city council accepts the recommendations, then we would, or staff would start going through the landmark process, right? It's not like. So, no, I mean, the, the, the issue is, do you, okay, so there's a lot of different ways you can remove a statue of the artifact. And, and that one in particular, given its size and uh, the willingness of people to borrow to, to take it on loan, um, and, and I'll say this because of a city, city council briefing, I mean, there was a council member that was like, pull a backhoe up and rip it out, what does it cost? Right. <laughs> right? So that, that's where you start, and then there's kind of every other, permutation of you bring a special crane in to take each statue off and find a new home for them and well if you're doing that you would probably then also go through a full restoration process to okay you see what I'm saying yeah yeah no I, I just wasn't clear on yeah whether the landmark issues were trumping now I did not know I mean I probably missed it but this whole issue of there being an ordinance is I think it was new information to me uh, in this latest round of due diligence and we need to address that so to Mr. Krumbuckle's point, um, we have a meeting before the 28th, mm -hmm. so will you give us a brief update yes. of what you're going to recommend to council the next meeting? Spoiler. Yeah. What? No, it'll be a spoiler, yeah. And the other thing, too, is, is like I said, I'm not really that involved in some of the park stuff or the street stuff, so it'll be the ones that y'all were briefed on originally. You know what I mean? Definitely. <laughs> Okay, Arts Month. Um, so 
April is always Arts Month in Dallas, and I say always. Last year was the first year it was expanded to be a month, and uh, previously it was a week. Um, so it used to be the second week in April, I think. And really, just kind of interesting point of fact, it all grew out of the Dallas Art Fair, um, and then it's grown around that. Um, please save the date. We had a great press conference last year. Um, it's just very rare that the OCA gets to be the focus point of the city press conferences, which are usually held on Wednesdays, because that's when council's in, and they're usually at lunch. Um, and this one is set for March 28th. So that'll be kind of our preview for the whole month event. And it was great last year. And so we're working on booking artists. And it's a good time that council and the mayor are there shining a spotlight on arts. Um, and then this is the draft, just to kind of give you a layout of, of how the month looks. And last year, Easter fell right in the middle. And this year, Easter is the very first day, so it'll probably officially start on the second, and then Pass Passover um, finishes the following Saturday. The Festival of Ideas is, um, they always have an arts theme, I think they do three themes a year, and there's always one around arts. Um, several of the artists that we work closely with are chaired last year's idea that's getting worked out, um, but that's that first weekend. Then the Mayor's Creative Conversation, which is held at the Moody, um, is going to be a focused conversation on a major update for the cultural plan, because um, we will have finished the community engagement phase by then. Then the Dallas Arts Fair kicks off later that week, um, and the Arts District Block Party is going to be, that's that all-day free, last year it held like 20,000 people, she estimated, the first of the day, that Saturday afternoon. Um, the Arts Advocacy Day is held here, and DACAC organizes that. There is an ask out to a keynote, and we're having some trouble getting an affirmative, but we're working on that. Um, and so that's usually a really fun day to kind of hear from somebody from outside of Dallas, but also talking about our own issues and topics. Then um, Earth Day Texas happens at Fair Park. It's the largest Earth Day celebration in the country now, and they have done an arts component each year. And then we are going to, if you go to the next one, have some OCA programming. Um, yesterday, the call for submissions went out. If you remember, LCC has had a long time show, at show in Dallas. Um, that always happens in April. And then for the first time, all four cultural centers are programming local artists, highlighting the Dallas art scene in our cultural centers, which is totally appropriate for the month of April. And so the call for submissions is out. Um, and we're excited. And then Sharla and Brittany have been incredibly busy putting together a very exciting program on spoken word and poetry. Um, I think sometimes the OCA, people think performing arts and visual arts and performing arts and visual arts and arts education. And um, sometimes we forget about our poets and our literary scene, which is really burgeoning. In fact, there's a whole cultural fit meeting next Wednesday night on this. Um, and so that's going to be our theme for the whole month. <coughs> Um, and Brittany and Charlotte put together kind of the cast of players to start planning it. Um, it's also National Poetry Month. Um, and we have a headliner contemplated but not confirmed uh, for the culminating event, which will be that last weekend. If you notice, that's still kind of an empty weekend in the month. And so it'll culminate on that weekend. Um, and this is also obviously in addition to everything that our arts organizations are already doing in April. 
Um, so, you know, if I started including things like the fact that the National Prize, which is having Theaster Gates come, is the first weekend, and um, everybody ha already has their fabulous program, that this is just what OCA is is uh, point for. Please make uh, if you have uh, visual artists in your contact list, uh, make sure to point them to the uh, R214 page, which is on all four of the cultural centers page. It's a, I mean, it's shaping up to be a very cool. I mean, it's, it's actually one exhibit yeah. that will be in four places, not simultaneously. It will be the, the the art that is submitted will be divided up in four places. So you could be a normal patron of a, the bathhouse and get into the exhibit itself. So this cross-pollinization of both audiences and, and artists is, uh, I think, has some really great potential. And really a new way of working for our cultural centers and our team, and OK, uh, Arts District Cultural Venues Organizational Change. It's a long title. Um, but this is something we've been working through. Our long-term manager at the Meyerson, Les Studdard, who I'm sure you all remember, uh, re retired. And so he has moved on into, as he said, working for his new supervisor, his wife, of 50-plus years. Um, and so Russell Dyer from the Moody Performance Hall um, is now the interim GM over Arts District Cultural Venues, and those for us are the Moody and the Meyerson. And this does have some real potential for our team, just if you look at kind of the sizes of the teams, um, there's lots of similarity. They share a caterer in uh, culinary catering. The Meyerson, the symphony does programming at the Moody. Um, the, the groups go back and forth. And so I'm very hopeful that there may be some more synergies there as he digs in. This it all kind of has taken place since the holidays. So this is, you know, literally as, as we're moving. Um, those part-time usher teams are really big. We have really high turnover. So to the extent that there's some sharing there. So this is something we've talked about and um, because of, of Les's retirement, it just made sense to kind of start uh, looking at it with that lens. Uh, so heads up. And then also, we had our new Mamba intern, Mariana Holman, Mariana Holman, start today. We've had great luck with SMU interns. And so she's a member of our team that will be working with us through the end of the year. Uh, we're thrilled. So, questions, comments? Um, okay, and then cultural planning. <laughs> Save the best for last. Um, on. Okay, so again, since November, just to kind of update you, the first half of the year, approximately, process is all about community engagement. And I want to thank you all for, as being leaders in this community, getting involved in this space, because I know how busy you all are. And those of you that have helped with your council person organize a meeting, come to meetings, opened your doors, I can't thank you enough. And so to recap the work to date, We've hosted four citywide launch events. That was that last week in September. We've convened eight community conversations. Another term for that is in-district council meeting. Um, and we have another six planned. Um, and they're really starting again. You know, the reality is you can't do this work the last three weeks of December and the first week of the new year. So um, there's been a little bit of a lull, if you will, but they are starting fast and furiously. There's a list of dates 
in the presentation uh, next week, and they'll be continuing like that, I would imagine, right up until spring break. Um, and then we're done. No. Uh, but I think, um, you know, look for that. We have conducted in-depth conversations and focus groups. I mentioned the literary arts one, but Kay's hosting one for public artists. We posted one, several for funders. Um, the whole history, heritage, and um, what's the third thing? science, thank you, um, group felt like they were getting ignored. So we hosted a whole two-hour focus group for those organizations. Uh, because I do think sometimes they get forgotten when you're talking arts and culture. Um, and so this work is very much ongoing. There are a few council members that have still avoided our team on this topic, and we're tracking them down to make sure we get in front of every single council member. Um, the really exciting thing right now is that we're starting to attend more arts events that are already occurring, as well as just general community events. So I cannot thank the Parks Department enough. The head of the Recreation Centers basically just sent us a list of Here's all the senior programming we have happening at recreation centers. Here's how you come. And the libraries, they're kind of getting going kind of right now, but they have English as a second language classes. You all are welcome. And so the cultural plan is just starting to show up. And um, sometimes there are four people, and then sometimes, and actually we had a great conversation with those folks, um, and then sometimes there are 18 people. Um, this is also where you know, our Spanish language speakers, Rafael and Benjamin, can go and have more in-depth conversations because a lot of times those audiences, especially if they're seniors, but Spanish speakers in general are not showing up to the meetings in the same numbers. So we're trying to really use these avenues to get in. Um, Benjamin's events have been wonderful in terms of already reaching people that value arts and culture, um, that speak Spanish maybe, you know, that kind of thing. So. Um, really, really good kind of pivot there. A couple of companies have now invited us to come to corporate lunches and trainings because, let's face it, you know, this is a good way to mix up the company meeting. Um, so we're starting to get those invites. So I'm just kind of telling you these to show you the range of ways that we've plugged in and we are willing to kind of do anything. Um, the really good news is as of this week, we got confirmation that we have engaged Dallas residents in every single zip code. And um, because they were still, you know, going through data, um, and we've reached more than 3,000 Dallas residents, and still counting. I mean, there's, you know, people are still coming in at every single meeting, and we have a flurry of meetings coming up. Um, this work, though, like I said, I can now officially tell people, like, if you haven't gone to a meeting because your fall was busy, like, you need to get to one now because the end is in sight, kind of for this phase of the work. Um, and then parallel to this, the economic analysis has really gotten going in earnest. HRNA Advisors, just to kind of jog your memory, is the sub-consultant to Lord that's in charge of that piece. And just to give you a sense of what they're crunching through, um, there is a ton of what I kind of call just general economic data that's out there. We did an economic analysis, uh, economic impact study that went at out last summer. The city of Dallas, I hope you saw the articles today, just really, this could be transformational for the city, unveiled what they're calling the MVA, the market value analysis, and that was just briefed to council yesterday. Um, there are all sorts of other studies out there. I had a lunch today with two funders, and they were talking about some data that Big Thought is gathering with Dallas After School, looking at that overlaid with housing and other DISD stuff, and they're the only ones that I think get the data now directly tied to DISD's results. Obviously, that's data that would be really good to have. So anytime we hear about these things, we just kind of shoot HRNA, you know, here's more data. 
Um, they also are working closely with Charlotte's team and just, I think, loaded a new data request on her today for all the data that we're already gathering um, from our arts organizations, both their financials, but also their monthly reports on audiences and arts services. Um, and then they are doing the benchmarking review of the peer cities. So Phoenix, Charlotte, Denver, and Austin are the, the peer cities that they are going to be benchmarking us against. So this is what's going to be coming out starting next Thursday, but really, you know, up until we start some prioritizations. And I know some people have kind of said, well, where's the real analysis on this plan? And, you know, it just, because of the way we've done the community engagement has been the second beat, if you will. Um, and then the micro-residencies, hopefully, uh, was Mr. Commissioner Flowers was reminding me that the mayor talked about this at that DACAC holiday party, but this is really new work for the OCA, um, and it's, it came out of the realization that when we did the RFP for the cultural policy, the OCA is less than 2% of the city's budget. Um, every year and so if you really want to move the needle how do we start to infuse other city functions with um, arts thinking and arts resource sharing and arts energy however you want to define it and so other cities have been doing this a lot longer than Dallas Tulsa has an artist and residency program that's been going and when I'm talking artists and residencies in this context this is of this city right not in an organization um, and so 56 um, and then here are some of the host departments. Do you want to talk about this? This is your baby. <laughs> sure. I mean, it, it's, it's been an interesting, you know, I think we are in such a silo at OCA, we sort of realize our own foibles and dysfunctions. But then when, when you go work in planning or economic development, you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's just there's a different mindset. And there would, would be meetings where I would go and say, they would say, well, if only we had this. And I'm like, well, we have that's that. easy. And so so it's that notion of creative, th it's creative thinking, artistic thinking, outside the box thinking, whatever you want to talk about, that can be applied to other departments. And so when we first unveiled it, like the park department said, oh, well, we need someone to redesign our signs. <laughs> and it was like, no, no, it's, it's not about doing a creative service for your department. It's about infusing creativity and creative thinking into your processes. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, the you know, is there a better way to do the council agenda system? Because it goes from here to here to here to here, and then it gets printed in a book. Is there a more creative way to do that? Is there a different way to handle code violations or monitoring or economic? Cleanups, well, environmental quality, environmental quality spills. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so the departments that I mean, it's largely been sort of, hey, are you interested? And the more progressive leaders of the departments have been very willing to say, hey. Um, so it's it's really short term. It's what we're calling micro residencies. They're just there for a week. They're going to sort of shadow and uh, look, and then sort of brainstorm, and then as part of Arts Month, we'll report out to sort of say. Hey, here's how we think we could crack some of these processes open. And then our hope, and I, I mean, I don't think this is that this could become institutionalized in what the OCA is doing with the city. Um, you know, we'll see. Can we tell us a little bit of the procedure? Like, where are you in the selection process? The, uh, the we have 56 applications. They are being reviewed by a huge panel, Charlotte. Charlotte was part of the panel. It ended up being. 
we sort of did it with just three artists and three staff, right. but then there ended up being Lord people put on it, and BC workshops, I think there's 12 people on this panel. So we're all rating, uh, we'll winnow it down to 10 finalists, and then those 10 finalists in a sort of shark tank sort of way, will get to meet with the participating departments and actually do a question and answer back and forth, brainstorming about what does the agenda department do? And, and so back and forth, and so the, then those 10 will come back in a sort of audition process and sort of give proposed, short proposals to the departments and then we'll find who's the best fit for the... Uh, when do you see that part happen? We're, uh, the first, the first, we should have the 10 decided by this weekend, early next week. They'll be uh, notified. Then uh, later in the month, we'll do the question and answer. And then they'll have about two weeks to come back to the table with their presentations. So mid-February, we should have everyone announced. Is there another major metro area that has done this? Austin and Tulsa. And uh, what kind of feedback? What kind of feedback have we gotten from them? Um, I think the, the Austin one is very well established, and I think you know, depending on the project, and I can't even remember. I think theirs was in sanitation. Um, it, it, it can be very fun, and I think the artists also feel like it's a huge. Uh, career boost to the artists that get to do this kind of thing because your work can live on in a very, it's almost like public art, right? Um, if, it, if it gets adopted into the practice of how the city operates. I think it sounds wonderful. It has sort of a softness to it though. What do you think the most compelling reason is to do something like this? For us, just selfishly, I think it gets OCA and what we do in, infused into the rest of city government. And so we get better known and better um, appreciated for what we do uh, as both a department and what we do in terms of supporting the creative economy in the rest of the city. So when we're talking about the quality of life in a city, that the arts and creative thinking and supporting a creative economy is one of those things like streets. And I also think it, it, there is an opportunity for resource sharing. Um, if I, you know, senior programming, everybody wants more senior programming. If it's already getting resources put against it with parks or libraries, can we match make our artists or arts organizations? Oh, you know what? You know who does that really well? This group right here. Let me introduce y'all. Um, because I do think, senior programming is a very obvious one, but I do think um, some of the Welcoming Communities Initiative, which is huge, and I, I've gotten to know the new head of that department, but given our struggles as a country to address immigration, the cities are leading on that, and one of the easiest ways to make people feel welcome is arts and culture. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd love to build some connective tissue for example, there, um, I think it'll take a lot longer on you know the water department or some of these big you know I don't think it, we're not talking to fire police are we because some of those we kind of went around and around I mean we got to kind of walk before we run but the the welcoming communities one you know I was not the first person she met with but it's a, such a natural and they're a new department so it's it's just helping us be more effective so people aren't duplicating and and you know the odd the one that you always hear about is the black box theaters and the libraries and 
you know, how do how do we really, and we are making progress, and I was so excited to get to report that, but that's because Marty at the bathhouse has built the relationships um, at some of those libraries. Or even like the fundamental principle of public art, yeah. if you're going to build something, build it beautifully, build it with something beautiful imbued into it, well, why can't you take that to water bills? Yeah. If you're going to put out, use the effort to, Put out a water bill, make it a beautiful, creative water bill. And and then one more thing is we're obviously sold, but one more thing I think is really true is if uh, if the city is planning a neighborhood park or renovating a street corner or something, um, I think sometimes the the person who's the decision maker, the project manager. They are under excruciating, excruciating pressure, you know, to get the job done as cheaply as possible. You know, they, they, I recognize all of their pressures, and so the, the making it beautiful. And when you're up against, gosh, they just want a traffic signal that works and the pothole fixed. Um, and I don't discount that, <laughs> but I think also making sure that they are thinking, okay, but how do I do this such that it really stands up over the test of time? to create quality wife. So just to follow up, maybe on where where Canon is going with some of this, and I, I think it it's it's very exciting and I think there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. I think with that with what you said it being just one week yeah. and it being micro, is there a way that we can set these folks up to succeed and not fail so either they're going to the right kinds of departments, like you said, that will be open to this. They're given kind of a very specific task to look at. So it's not just this like, come in in a week, try and figure out everything that we do and make a recommendation of where we can improve. I would just hate for something like this yeah. at the end of the day, you know, for somebody to say, well, that artist clearly couldn't figure out, you know, the this entity and and we're insert in the, in the review guidelines we were real clear uh, for the in the rubric for rating the artists that being able to think clearly work well with others yeah. um, work with people who are different than them was as important as are they a brilliant artist and um, well and then the same should go for the organism for exactly. the department too and right? so the flip side is almost more worried about if three organizations shake out is the place that you would actually put an artist for six months that is as important as this yeah right yeah. so which organizations are the best given everything it's not it's not even a judgment call but if we come out with the eight or ten organizations and we say gosh these organizations ate this up they need an artist for six months, that's okay. Some organization's not ready, not off the time, wouldn't it fit, no harm, no foul. We only invested a week. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us an example, name the water bill? Okay. Oh, my favorite one, my favorite one is we board up houses all the time all over the city. Yeah. Why is it plain plywood? That's my favorite too. That's my favorite one. Oh. And I think from an economic aspect, uh, you're welcome in communities. We can build on that. Yeah. Outside the outside this room um, is where those arguments are important. So, and I did have a major funder in town um, mm -hmm. say to me, "I'm kind of sick of great design also always being in a one mile radius." And I thought, "Okay, we can work with that because, okay, so what is what does that mean then for housing or 
some of the more routine services, right? What do you mean by great design? Is that parking meters that are really exciting in other neighborhoods? Some people have pointed out we need bike racks for all of the bikes in town. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but then also, does that become transportation, you know? And so, I mean, a little bit of this, so yes, okay, so if I may, some of these are not gonna be successful. And some of these departments are not gonna let their artist and we are all going to be lucky if some of them say, oh my God, I barely made it through my week in Department X. And like, that's legitimate, okay? And like, I honor that as every day that I come to work, the happiest day ever, no. But I would hope that we could also focus on maybe the three or four that get like gelling, you know what I mean? And it's, you know, that, that's, that seems soft, but that's the reality here, you know. And the other thing too is I'm very hopeful that there's, you know, um, ten thousand dollar ideas, hundred thousand dollar ideas, half a million, you know, um, because some of them are. It'll be interesting to see like how low the hanging fruit is. I don't know. And the, the engagement is just one week, start to finish. Well, we're also open. It may be just it could be every four Tuesday. consecutive Tuesdays, or yeah, no. Know. But I mean, to produce these ideas, so there's no implementation. This is just a brainstorm. And the good ones, hopefully, then is there a plan in place for the implementation? We can, we can yeah, yeah, that's okay. what, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's not a plan, so we don't know if they are. But. Right, but that's obviously the fault. And, 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 and it's important to also re re realize that this is, this is an experiment we're doing as part of the cultural plan. Mm -hmm. So okay. the, mm -hmm. the, the information and feedback that we get from this helps us helps our consultants guide what their recommendations are for us in the cultural plan. So that that's the actual impetus and funding for this from the cultural plan. I like it. So my last question. No, it's fine. Now that you, it's part of the cultural plan, um, you envision that the artist at the end of the assignment will then do some sort of professional summary and it becomes part of it? And we're going to actually host an event, um, which I think will be really fun, in Arts Month, where they can report back. And, and share, you know, what was it like? What, what was the experience like? They went out the back, out the department. Yeah, we're <laughs> so over that, you know. Yes, I mean, um, and I would hope again, like, you know, as long as it's productive, right? As long as it's productive. Don't curse the darkness, light a candle. Um, okay, I think there's like two more things. So upcoming conversations, we have a lot going on. Um, in the balance of February, we're going to host like the get the last word public meeting so that um, we just, we're still working on time and place, but we'll probably do one in the far north, one in the far south, and then one kind of in the middle um, to wrap the public engagement phase. Um, and obviously we have a commission meeting in February. It is going to be, other than Kay's public art items, 100%, it's like y'all's cultural plan focus group. Um, and I know we have some new commissioners, so we, sorry, it seems like it's late, but a little bit of that was maybe we had a new wave, um, and you guys can weigh in and help us shape it as a body, rather than you've all been in your neighborhoods listening or in your industry groups listening. Um, it's, it's a dedicated time. Um, that we will have the Lord team here on that day. And I think, and again, really and truly, thank you all so much. I have to give a shout out to Miss Linda Blaze, who had us last Thursday at her neighborhood watch meeting, and and then it rolled into a, a cultural planning meeting. Yes. 
How often do we do total cleanups? Um, we have not done one since 2002. Okay. And what is the goal of the? Okay, so the goal, uh, the goal of the cultural plan is to, for the first time since 2002, look at our city holistically um, and as an arts economy, but also as an arts culture. Um, how do we support artists? How do we nurture artists? And then do planning. So what are the priorities that we're hearing from citizens, arts organizations, artists, politicians, the, the, the uh, economy? And help us dictate our priorities around investment and spending and things like you know nurturing certain behaviors or not. Um, but it all culminates in a new cultural policy, which is really like our playbook for our department. It becomes city code. And some of it is soft. It's interesting, you know, when we hear the soft thing. Some of it is soft, but then it's not mean it No, you're right. I mean, it's this whole, it's soft, but then how does that become a metric that can be measured, and how does that relate to the things that we're hearing? Yes. Uh, because I think there's still a lot of, we need to do this. Yes, okay. we do, but is that priority six or what? Well, I'll just tell you, the person that appointed me to this seat is very supportive of all of this, and especially supportive of the this macro residency program. But I've got to also provide a strong enough argument that you can have that conversation right? You know, with, with people who are gonna size it up against the police department and, and all this other stuff. So I'm just trying to build no, a very compelling case. Yeah. It's also a point in history where we can start to change some paradigms. One of the things Jennifer and I have been talking about a lot is, you know, I mean, the, the, the push for uh, 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 you know, for many, many years has been more cultural centers and more neighborhoods. And so, so, so you identify the need, but not necessarily the process. Because one of the things these seniors were like, I don't need a cultural center here, I just need a bus to downtown. So is, is, is it more expensive to build a build, to build 10 more buildings, or to have 10 free shuttle buses that operate? Yeah. And is DISD participating in this at all? It's really funny. We're trying to set up the room. <laughs> 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 Commissioner Hornbuckle and I have been dealing with the scheduling issue. We had someone get sick, but yes. Okay. Um, and the other, the other issue, too, that's getting kind of more and more interesting is the realm of players in this thing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The transit issues, I had no idea how often they were going to get cited as barriers. And... You know, that's that's it. a lot of these things. You know, we, we can identify the problem. I'm not sure we're going to solve that, but it, it does. It then informs the new plan for that. And there's, it's a really great point in history. This is why I'm bringing this up because, you know, I don't have to tell you guys. There's been a tremendous amount of change in the city, and we're kind of the first ones out the gate uh, after this market value analysis. But there's a transit plan, an economic development plan, a housing plan, a and so, in some ways, we are also kind of priming the pump for um, not only showing that you can do community engagement like this, but also that we want to share and share broadly and flag an issue for us. And when you come across it, how can we work together? You know, and so the economic development in particular, um, just so people can think about how do you include arts in those projects, it's a win. And I think that concludes my report. Y'all have been so helpful. Um, just so I'm clear, because without, um, obviously we will keep you guys abreast on the contract issues and the Confederate monuments. Um, I didn't remember Confederate monuments, but that February meeting is going to be a very abbreviated agenda. 
because we need to save time for cultural plans. Are there any other really hot, other than things will come up, but those are the two big things that I heard. Yeah, I just, that meeting, I want to preserve time for cultural plans. Okay, are there any liaison uh, reports at this time? We'll do that quickly. Anyone has a no liaison reports? <laughs> okay. Okay, then are there any more um, announcements to be? No announcements? Yes. Um, a couple weeks ago in the Dallas Morning News, there was a big story on the Kalina Office. Oh, yes. Where does our, our commission fall in that? Because it seemed a lot about preservation. Um, I just was curious. Um, okay, so it's our building, and we have a long-term contract with the Theater Center. And about seven years ago, there was a master plan. And does everyone know what a master plan is? It looks at a building, but it's the whole site, it's the usage, it's historic preservation issues, it's budgeting, it's programming, it's, it was, I mean, it, it's kind of what the name implies, but I just want everyone to think as broadly as you can, a master plan done in 2011, I believe, um, that looked at that building, and it was because the theater center was getting the Wiley, right? Um, and that master plan was never adopted by council. Um, there's a group that would love to see that master plan adopted. There are some real concerns about the recommendations that were in that master plan. There's a reason why it was never adopted. And um, and so there are a series of meetings between kind of, and I, I hate to simplify it, but the, the group that's like full steam ahead, take this building back to Frank Lloyd Wright's perfect vision, make this master plan, adopt it and implement it. And there's the group that's like, whoa, top the brakes. We don't feel like in today, 2018, that master plan is really addressing, there are some deal breakers in it. Um, and so they are trying to hash that out and see if we can resuscitate it. The other reality, and we have other master plans that also never got adopted by council, is of course, nobody that is on today's council was around back then. So, you know, politically, we just need to kind of figure out, and, and we just passed a bond and that was a $40 million recommendation. So if the city is expected to pay for it, we can pass it all we want, but there's, no, there's not $40 million I can point to. So if not the city, then is there a third party that wants to raise money in shaping that? Okay, then the meeting is adjourned. Stop.